So it's Monday morning, and you're settling in at your desk. You're catching up with a few coworkers, getting ready to start your day, and inevitably someone in the office will ask, what did you do this weekend? No one ever asks, what did you buy this weekend? Why? Because no one really cares what you bought Saturday. They want to know about the fun stuff you did and the adventures that you took part in. Today's guest has embodied that way of living ever since she was a young girl. She grew up as a daughter whose dad was pursuing his Olympic kayaking dream and a mom who inspired a better way of life that would forever change the trajectory of our guest's own career, family, and pursuits. Give your kids adventures, not things. Help make it so they have stories to tell, not stuff to show. Emily Jackson. In this episode, I sit down with Emily and we unpack how her adventurous childhood created such a solid foundation for her own life that she couldn't comprehend a different way of life. She is an accomplished professional kayaker, mom, wife, businesswoman, co-host of the Great Family Adventure TV series, and friend to so many. We talk about how her most clear recollection of her family's happiness stemmed from the decision to live full-time in an RV, to pursue life together, forged on a mission to provide experiences and not stuff. We talk about her own career and real-life challenges and experiences of raising a family touring around the world while pursuing her and her husband Nick's professional kayaking career. Family time is their best time, and every decision and move they make as a family has this one singular purpose in mind. Here's the beauty of this episode. It's super relatable to everyone with a heartbeat. If you truly want to live your best life, there is something for everyone in this episode. You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge and Southern Appalachian Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. Join us on our journey to explore these mountains and discover how they fuel a spirit of adventure. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. Well, I am excited for this episode today. I think it's going to be a remarkable episode because we're dealing with a remarkable person. Her name is Emily Jackson. She's a mom, a wife, a world champion kayaker, TED talker, world traveler, exercise junkie. She's the full-time marketing director for Jackson Kayaks. And she's also married to Nick Troutman, who is also a whitewater kayaking world champion and our guest on episode 20. So, Emily, it's such an honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to be with me here today. Yeah, and I'm excited. I'm excited to chat. Definitely stoked to be here. Let's get to know you a little bit better, Emily. There's so many things that that I want to ask you, and there's so many things that we could cover because you do have your hand in your life in a lot of different areas, uh, and they're all interrelated. But let's give the listeners who aren't familiar with you and your athletic prowess as an outdoor adventurer, kayaker. Let's Mm -hmm. find out who you are. So I know that you live life with huge intention. You're self-reflective. You're goal-oriented. I mean, it just seems to come across in everything you do. But how would you describe yourself and also your approach to life with all these different roles that you play, Emily? Wow. Well, I do wear a lot of hats. I give you that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, for me, uh, it's it's hard. I, you know, I grew up in a whitewater uh, 
you know, paddling family. My dad was a world champion kayaker, but my mom was also this like glue and rock that held the family together. And I just had this utmost respect for both of them and the roles that they embodied. And I just couldn't imagine life moving forward, not, you know, it's like a tribe, you know, if there's like a Native American tribe, you grow up hunting and basketball and doing the things of the people that you're surrounded by. And I grew up surrounded by people that were so passionate about paddling. But then I also grew up with my mother who was just, everyone loved and loves my mom because she just was the mother for everyone. And just seeing that kind of impact that she had on people's lives uh, really impacted me as well. So for me, you know, just kind of trying to balance it all. You know, I'm a wife and a mother and a, and a world champion kayaker. And so it's like, okay, well, my parents are both pretty awesome. You know, how do I embody both of them? And then with that, you know, how do I find out who I am? And so there was a lot of like layers to that. It's like, I want to do it all. It's kind of, <laughs> it's hard, but I do try. So yeah, definitely complicated in that realm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, from afar, uh, watched mm-hmm. you all grow up. Of course, I didn't know your name at the time and, and so forth. But in the late 90s, early 2000, your dad, I, I've, I've just always been amazed at just watching when you all were growing up and in your you know RV traveling all over and all the places that you did and, and just the, mm-hmm. the emphasis that your mom and dad put on family back then mm-hmm. made a, an enormous impact on me personally. And yeah. Um, I've told your dad that, and I've told Nick that too. And, and, you know, it's just so cool to see it resonate, you know, in your life right now. Mm -hmm. I actually met your dad in the swimming pool at the university of North Carolina, Greensboro. He came in and (laughs) he did, uh, he was doing a role clinic. I was working for the Uh outdoor recreation program at the time. And, and Uh uh, he came in and did a role class with all of us. And he's just so genuine and down to earth and infectious, infectious. Yes. It just, you know, it's like. He could be such an amazing athlete, but yet he's just so, so, so down to earth. Yeah. So you did, you grew up literally traveling all over the U S and Canada in, in the RV. So that's a lifestyle that you have right now. And we'll talk about that here in a minute because it's a huge part of your life. But mm-hmm. what was that like growing up just being a kid? I don't know. Maybe you didn't know anything different. Maybe that's just what it was for you. Oh, I mean, for sure. There's definitely an element to it where you just don't know any better. And it's not like I had any choice either, really. I mean, I could have made it a lot harder for my parents, but uh, why would I? I actually grew up in Washington, D.C. for a period of time when my dad was aspiring slalom athlete, and that's the Olympic division. So he had to work with the Olympic coach, and everything was based in the D.C. area. Uh, most of the people that he was competing with were slightly younger, you know, just out of college or, you know, they didn't have families. They didn't have three people that they were trying to tag along with this dream of theirs. Uh, my father was actually gone quite a bit initially. And then my parents were either going to split or figure it out. And my mom was like, we just can't be apart anymore. Cause she, you know, her dream, she's to have us all together you mm-hmm. know, all the time. And that wasn't happening when my dad was trying to, uh, to be a slalom racer. And so then they met a kayaker that had an RV and she's like, that's what we're going to do. I didn't know better, but I also was just old enough to kind of recognize the lifestyle that we were in. So I was eight uh, in Washington, DC, and I did not have all the, the nice things that all of my <laughs> friends had. I had a lot of sleepovers at their house and they all, you know, took care of me and I'm still really close to them still, you know, we were homeless a few times because it was just hard. And I think, a big part of that, you know, not necessarily knowing better, but at the same time, the second we left in that RV, 
just the happiness that I got to see in my parents. Like they were the like most joyous I'd ever seen them. It's like this cloud. I just disappeared. And all of a sudden we were this, you know, big, happy family uh, that I think we were underneath initially, but traveling and being together in the RV really brought that out. So for me, it was an immediate, like I just knew that it was the right place for us to be because we went from a much more stressful environment as a family to one where not only were we doing amazing things, but when I got to come back and tell my friends about the stories, the places I'd been, Africa, New Zealand, and we could afford these things because we didn't have a mortgage and so mm. forth. So it was just, it was just a really big eye-opening experience. And my parents got dragged through the mud, you know, as being irresponsible, um, bad parenting styles. And, you know, they were trailblazers. They were, they wouldn't take that. You know, they're like, we don't care what you think. You know, we know we're doing the right thing because inside that house, we were and still are the closest family I've ever met. And our love for one another is huge. And when you have that love and support, I mean, to me, there's nothing you can't do when you have a a system like that. So I can't see anything different just because, Oh, it was such a light switch moment for our entire family and continues to be so today. Oh, that's so cool. I really, I, like, I want to keep fast forwarding just to that yeah. part. So we can talk to you all. I know, I know we're going to get there, but just, just a couple more questions about that. And it, yeah, it seemed like it made a huge uh, impact. Obviously that's a lifestyle that you're living right now, but also Dane is living mm-hmm. a very similar lifestyle. So it's so cool to just, uh, you know, from afar again, just kind of mm-hmm. follow him and, and, and all of his adventures and, and, mm-hmm. and where he finds himself at home too, which is literally wherever that, that trailer is, is, is sort of home. It's seems 100%. So during that time, you I mean your your dad was continuing to pursue his his uh whitewater kayaking career and your and your mom was the glue it seemed to hold that together. But mm-hmm. then your dad when I met him he was with Wavesport and mm-hmm. then during this time also he started Jackson Kayak and mm-hmm. and then you got into paddling as well. Maybe you can kind of talk mm-hmm. about some of that a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. So fast forward to living in the RV for a period of time. My dad at the time was brand manager for another kayak company called Wave Sport. And Dane was always the bold, you know, my younger brother, Dane was just, he was a bold paddler. He was strong. He was fearless. Uh, He was born at like uh, one pound, 10 ounces at six months. And everything that he did from the second he was born was put on a pedestal because it was just so amazing that he was even there. And everything he did was phenomenal. So he grew up in this really uh, confidence inspiring environment where he had everyone at his, as his cheerleader. I um, mean, I was the more protective one and I was, you know, his second mother, whether he wanted me to be or not. <laughs> so basically the transition was my dad wanted to make a kid's kayak because Dane being premature was only 40 pounds at the age of 11. Wow. He knew that Dane was being held back by our sport. If you go You know, in the ski industry, they make these little skis for kids. And then usually there's a lot of loyalty to that ski brand moving forward as the kids continue to grow. Well, kayaking didn't have that. You're kind of screwed until you were, you know, at least 80 or 90 pounds, if not more. And knowing the road ahead of Dane was going to be long because he's, you know, was that age and only 40 pounds. They were like, man, I got to do something about this. And he actually designed and presented a kayak to uh wave sport at the time and their response was there's just no market we're not going to do this and my dad doesn't really like no he doesn't take no for an answer just about ever so he was like well if i can't do this here 
I need to do it somewhere else. And so, you know, he is a forward thinker, innovator, designer. That's his uh, entrepreneurial spirit for sure. So with that, my mom was like, why don't you just start a kayak company? Like my dad really did not like working for other people. He still doesn't like working for other people. Um, he has to work for himself. And so that's how Jackson kayak kind of started was, you know, he, the answer was no uh, to making a kid's kayak to support my brother. And he didn't take it. So Jackson kayak was born. Wow. So yeah. Jackson kayak was born. And so did it start with that kid's kayak then, or, or were there other, the very first kayak we ever made was a kid's kayak. The one that they had no market for oh my the very gosh. first model that we ever created. So we didn't, we didn't even make an adult kayak till a little bit, you know, we got there, but molds are expensive and so forth. So, uh, um, but the very first kayak that we made was a boat to fit my brother. So he was the first one to ever get a kayak uh, from Jackson Kayak. And uh, it's just cool because that kind of carries through to our history today. But it really initiated our ability to pursue kayaking even more because now as a family, we had the equipment that we needed to to really be comfortable on the water, to be honest. Oh, that's amazing. What, what year was that, Emily? Roughly. Mm, well, that was about 2003. Okay. So 2000, early 2004 was about when we had the actual completed. Dane had a fiberglass prototype model in okay. the end of 2003. Cool. Mm. So, yeah. So that's kind of around about the same time in 2002 that you ended up getting really hooked on whitewater kayaking as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a funny thing. People are like, oh, you got so hooked on kayaking. I was like, yeah, I got hooked on kayaking, but there's kind of two sides to it. I, you know, as a homeschooled girl surrounded by, like I said earlier, this tribe of people that were just amazing and so passionate about paddle sports. And uh, often my dad was such a celebrity that often people were like, oh my goodness, you're Emily Jackson. You must be so good at kayaking. <laughs> and I was like, pressure. <laughs> I hate kayaking. Yeah. Kayaking isn't for me. You know, like it was just my out for, you know, I'm very hard on myself in general. I'm an overachiever. And so like that was really intimidating because without me even spending time kayaking, people had this assumption that I would be really good at it. And I think I was really afraid of disappointing people, mm. but even more so I was really afraid of disappointing my dad. You know, it is one of those things that took me a long time to realize that it's a lot harder to disappoint him than I think. But uh <laughs> I was always a fear. I was terrified of disappointing. Always, like even still to today, like the idea of ever disappointing him is like, you know, takes my breath away. And I have to be like, right, Emily, you got to do what's best for you. Right. Um, you know, and that comes down to whether or not like we're here. And he's like, are we playing ping pong tonight? You know, if I have to do something, I'm like, let me figure out a way so I can play ping pong with you because I don't want to disappoint you. But the point of me getting into kayaking was I was really afraid of disappointing him. So I really held out mainly because every time he went out, I would cry and I was emotionally frustrated. He's very black and white. His father was military, you know, so it's just like do this and, you know, and then he won't be afraid of it after you do it 10 times. Oh, it's so weird that she's so scared of it. Maybe even more scared than she was 10 times ago. And so it was really hard for him. I confused the crap out of him, to be honest. And then when I was 12, you know, still homeschool, very disconnected from my friends. We had bought property in Tennessee. All my friends were in Washington, D.C. You know, back then there wasn't, you know, social media, ways to connect as well. Um, I didn't have a phone yet, so there wasn't, like, uh, communication. So I was kind of in my own little bubble with my brother Dane. 
And Dane was always fearless, but he was so little. And it was before the first kayak came out. So he was kayaking, but it wasn't super easy for him. And I actually, I was gaining weight. I was uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, I was just bored, bored of just doing nothing. And I went ahead one day and it was the very first day ever. And I asked my dad, um, will you take me kayaking? And that's when it really switched because I'm a control freak and I was in control of when and how we were going kayaking. Cause it was the very first time that I had ever asked. Mm. Instead of him saying, we're going, you're going to do this, which immediately was like, abrasive so I didn't want to listen to anything he had to say it went to well I'm going kayaking and this is what we're going to do and he just went with it and he I think when we got down to the river he almost like ignored me you know he let me do what I wanted to do we were in a big eddy right here in Rock Island Tennessee and he was like you do whatever you want to do just remember if you flip pull your skirt and then he went off and play boated and so I had this like freedom and it was really empowering just having that moment of I'm doing this on my own <laughs> no one's telling me what to do and Dane and I played Simon Says, you know, with rolling for like two hours straight. You know, Simon Says, flip over and hit your boat 10 times and roll up. And I gained a lot of confidence in that moment because one, I was in control, but two, I got to just practice the things that made me, you know, intimidated, but I actually knew I was really good at it. And then the fuel to the fire, once I started feeling comfortable, was we went on the road that spring, like we always do. We went to Colorado and I competed in my very first event. And one thing I learned about myself is that, yeah, I like kayaking, kayaking's fun, but oh my goodness, I love competing. Mm. <laughs> and I do so well under pressure. It's something that I, people say about me all the time is, you know, like the heart, the more pressure, the better I perform. And so putting myself in that environment, my, my kayaking skyrocketed because I was surrounded by high-end competitors in a high-pressure environment. And I could handle it really well, and I actually enjoyed it. And so while I loved kayaking, initially, I think just that love of having a way to express my competitiveness is honestly what fueled my capabilities in my kayak, but also my love for paddle sports in general. And now I have 10 billion reasons to love paddling. <laughs> but as far as that goes, that's kind of that's kind of what initiated. That was the big initiation was love kayaking, but absolutely love competing. And then on top of that, you know, I finally got to take control of this scenario. And as a control freak, that's kind of really important. Highly competitive type A control. You're mm -hmm. in your element. That's that's really cool. And that has led mm -hmm. to, I mean, a bunch of career <laughs> highlights as well. I mean, you're a three-time world freestyle champion. You yeah. have, if I start to name them, I'm probably going to be wrong and I'll forget something. But it's fine. It, no, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've, you won the African Olympic trials in 2008. The, you fun. were the number one U.S. slalom paddler in 2009. Yeah, that was, the slalom stuff was pretty fun. I mean, it was good. But, uh, you know, as far as one of the things that I'm probably most proud of is I'm a 13-time Mountain Game winner in Vail, Colorado. Um, it's been the Teva Mountain Games, the GoPro Mountain Games. It's changed over the years. The one thing that hasn't changed is that I go there and then I tend to perform quite well. But the cool thing about that one for me is it continues to show the longevity of my competitiveness, but also my ability to perform well. And so that's something that I hold really dear. So... You know, each event is just a moment. You know, it's a 45 seconds or maybe a minute long where you have to try to do your best. But at the same time, when you compete a lot, there's a lot of opportunity to win. But there's also a lot of opportunity to lose. So I'm definitely proud of, proud of a lot of those things. Yeah. And just recently you were, I think, out west. And I, I don't know the name of the, the event, but 
um, just kind of following you a little bit on on social, mm-hmm. you were just kind of talking about how uh, even though you didn't you didn't win that particular event, you the, the competitiveness, you being better than you were the day before, competing against yourself in some ways was really a driver for you as well. And then not to mention just the camaraderie and all the friendships that you have with all the people that you've been competing with or against for years. Yeah, no, 100%. And it's changing. You know, now I'm the older one in the Eddie, and that's weird as hell. Um, (laughs) I'm like, well, wait a minute. But I also remember being the young one in the Eddie, so I try to be very kind and encouraging because there's a lot of women that did that for me when I was younger. Um, But, yeah, this year, I guess one of the biggest things was I got fourth at the World Championships. It's actually the second time ever that I've gotten fourth. The very first Worlds that I competed at, I got fourth. And this one, I got fourth. But the... Uh, I was dealing with a lot, you know, I work full time. I had the two kids and like the week before we left for the world championships, my husband had a major concussion and I was having to baby and take care of him. So instead of having my partner there to help me as much, it was like, it was a heavy load. Mm. Um, but every time I hit the water, I just really made sure that I was about just having fun, you know, doing the best that I could with the circumstances around me and, what can I do to increase my chances of performing well? You know, really thinking about that, but not stressing out about the fact that the girls that I shared with Eddie with, some had been there for two years. I can't even count the amount of hours that they were training. Wow. And uh, I was just really uh, proud of myself for, you know, remembering, you know, the value of experience. You know, that's what got me into the finals. And then also just, the importance of having a good time. And I really can't even begin to express how important that is. And that's why my competitive career has such longevity as well as my dad, because it's fun. We're there to have fun. And if it's not fun, then I'm not going to get in the water. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And you know, it. Mm-hmm. some people may think that that sounds so cliche and it, mm-hmm. it always comes back to that. You know, if you're not enjoying this in this moment, it's mm-hmm. not worth doing. And, uh, I, I really, that comes through a lot with you and Nick and your, and and Dane Mm -hmm. and your dad. It's just fun. I mean, you are generally just enjoying life, embracing the gifts that you have and offering them to the world and, and using them, you know, to, to just live life to its fullest. It seems. Trying for sure. I mean, there's always two sides to everything for sure. But at the same time, we do have a ton of fun. And part of it is framing it up so that way we're able to. So our expectations are what are the things that I can can control and what are the things that I can't control. And so many people stress out about the things they can't control. What's the water level going to do? What's the weather going to be like? What's the this? What are the judges going to say? And finding that balance a lot of times just has to come down to and boil down to, you know, only stressing out about the things that you can control and then making sure we remove anything that does create stress in that environment. So you don't have to stress out about much at all. You know, just really just focus on, you know, the things that you can control. And ultimately, I think that brings so much more joy. Mm. Gosh, I really appreciate you sharing that and kind of giving a little bit of context, because that is Mm -hmm. one thing that I've also picked up just in your own family now, your immediate family with Nick and and Tucker, uh, your son, who I think he's eight now, and then Parker's five. Is that right, your daughter, Parker? Uh, They've had birthdays now, nine and six. Oh, gosh. Okay. Now you're good. You have to get bigger. All right, so nine and six. (laughs) Hey, trust me, I know. I have, (laughs) let's see, I have uh, 24, 21, 18, who's out in Colorado trying to find her way right now, and -hmm. and 14, so I totally get it, yes. Yeah, Yeah. you've got it, uh, doubling mine, so that's 
that. So I feel for you. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Uh, well, Busy so, man. so one thing that really kind of strikes me and it's the reason I had reached out to you, you know, I, I mm-hmm. probably like a lot of people, I kind of watch you from afar and I'm, I'm interested in your life and mm-hmm. you, you're also very intentional. I think about some of the posts that you make on social and just, just really mm-hmm. how you attack life and how you attack the day. But I did not realize that the great family adventure was really something that you all started like in 2017 to share just your life and sort of the transition of how you grew up, Emily. And, and also Nick kind of came into that scene a little bit uh, later in your teen life and was living that Mm -hmm. life with you all. But now that's really kind of how your family is living. But I didn't realize that you all had that great family adventure sort of Instagram page before that really came a TV series. I mean, in a way, Nick was always trying to think about after we had kids, you know, for us, it was like one, uh, uh, an element to us that wasn't ever really marketed in any aspect. So people knew us as these, you know, extreme kayakers, but there's only so much relatability to that as a whole. So if you want to share our messaging and where I think we truly shine, we think about, well, how can I relate to the most amount of people to help, you know, inspire, or educate, or just make them leave them with a smile on their face. And I think uh, sharing family content, especially when it comes to getting kids outside, is just something that we had. And Nick really started pushing it more. Where He's like, we have these incredible stories and we have these incredible photos. And often what it meant was that we were receiving a lot of messages from people. I'm like, man, I can't believe you took your one-year-old son to Africa. These guys are crazy. <laughs> um, and then from that, it's like, man, how do we educate people that this isn't taboo, you know? And so the Great Family Adventure kind of derived from that. The page itself wasn't necessarily called Great Family Adventure at the time. Okay. But it, what it did was it allowed, uh, I don't even remember what it was called. We changed the name, but it was just a place where, you know, Nick could be like, okay, I just need to share this message. You know, he could get it off his chest, you know, because partially, you know, it was almost infuriating. It's not quite the right word, but just disappointing how many people just couldn't quite grasp that, you know, taking your kids on adventures uh, is okay, but also that your life doesn't end and the adventures don't stop the second you have kids. Most of our friends, when we had children, weren't even engaged or had long-term partners. Like when we got married, I mean, we were kids too, but in general, it was a long time before all of our friends and the people we were around were even getting close to that phase of life. And they were just like, well, I can't do that because X, Y, Z is going to stop. And we were like, do they not see us? Are we invisible? Like, I don't understand. Is what we do seem too hard? Because it doesn't feel that hard. Does this feel hard? And there are days where it does, but generally, like, not doing it to me would feel way harder. So Mm. that's kind of, so yeah, it's been a messaging that we wanted to share for a long time. But the TV show derived from, you know, there's a big hole for family adventure marketing in general. So, you know, production company approached us, people that we knew, and they're like, we love what you do. Do you want to do something? And, you know, we're like more family adventure. Of course. What else would we say? Uh, cool. You know, you mentioned something, you, the word that you just used, I think is huge when you said relatable. And mm-hmm. I think you're right. You know, I oftentimes think about that, you know, when I'm bringing guests on, it's like, well, how relatable is this going to be if they don't they're right into that sport, but there's always a tie in and yours mm-hmm. is, yours is so relatable. And I, I, and I think now I know the reason why I, when I was young, my, we were in the military, my dad was in the military and we lived overseas. We lived in Spain. And I remember mm-hmm. one summer, 
my dad, uh, he took off. He, we bought this, uh, 1973 Volkswagen van. We brought it mm-hmm. over to Europe and then he, before, you know, kind of this van life was a thing. Was it Vanagon or Westphalia? Uh, neither one. It was just a normal, um, a normal van, a, a normal Volkswagen van. Amazing. That's and, amazing. uh, so yeah. at, at the time you could get a tent and it could attach mm-hmm. to the back. So you lifted the tailgate up and then you had a tent oh, platform yeah. that went I out. Know, I know what you get. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. That was cool. We, you know, he, he reconfigured the electricity and we had, uh, you know, the refrigerator in it and, you yeah. know, we had a cook stove and all this kind of stuff. And then obviously he, he built this, you know, huge, mm-hmm. you know, rack on the top of it before you could ever buy anything. It was all wood. It probably weighed a thousand pounds, but we yeah. toured all over Europe in this thing. And we, we, he took off 30 days and we toured, you know, France, Belgium, mm-hmm. Italy, Switzerland, Austria, um, the rock of Gibraltar came back, went wow. to Portugal and mm-hmm. we camped the whole time. And honestly, to this day, it's probably been the most memorable period of my life. And it's something mm-hmm. that I've always kind of wanted for, you know, for my family too. And we've mm-hmm. been able to do a little bit of that, but not, not quite, you know, to, to the degree. The yeah. 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 So that, for me, that's the relatable piece. And then there's mm-hmm. another kind of relatable piece. Well, there's a lot, but the other thing yeah. to me too, is just how in, I keep using this word, maybe I need to come up with a synonym for it, but again, intentional with the kids when you go mm-hmm. places and you try to find things that, you know, kind of shape their experiences, mm-hmm. you know, as well. But anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but so the great, the great family adventure, let's talk a little bit about what that is. I was thinking mm-hmm. you were in season one, but I guess you've done two seasons now at this point with this show. Yeah, I think three is about airing just about to start airing so okay. we've done multiple seasons basically a great family adventure is a tv show that currently airs on tv and right now we're completely redeveloping a major youtube channel and this social feed is going to get way more instructional so the youtube channel in general is all going to be from my perspective sharing tips and tricks for families you know because moms are usually the ones a lot of times that are initiating like what the kids are wearing <laughs> and what snacks you pack. Like it's dads true. are a little involved to be fair. Um, usually like the moms are relying on the dad to be the rock of the whole scenario, but the mom's going to do the planning because uh, often they do. But at the same time, so the YouTube channel is going to be from my perspective on different elements for getting kids out. So it's really a whole content creation and initially it's the tv show and the instagram channel and now it's turning into a big youtube channel cool and uh it's aired on uh outside tv and then bali's sports which was previously fox sports they changed your name to bali's and so all the channels under their umbrella host the show at different times which is really cool so it's really hitting the masses i mean the first episode like right off the bat had more than six million views oh my gosh and so it's just one of those things where like okay well people are excited to get this content and there's a need for it so people are utilizing it which is really cool but with that being said there's so many other places that we could do more of it and do better so it's continuing to grow and expand but basically it's just Right now, we, for television, do four episodes a year, um, and those four episodes are very location-based, so it's like what to go do in Oklahoma City, you know, what are you going to do in Fort Myers, Florida, and for us, the theme and the goal is to not necessarily be as touristy, you know, not the super obvious, but how can I just make an adventure by opening up the door and going outside? I mean, that's kind of the idea is to mm. make adventure accessible for more people and to set the intention, like you said, to go out 
and make adventures with your family. So that's kind of the intention behind it is to inspire people to just open the door and don't over plan. Don't look for convenience, challenge convenience and just have an adventure. In many ways, is this just really sort of a residual of your upbringing and your life experience and it just you know just kind of naturally flowed into this or is this something that you had to make some conscious efforts and some thoughts to say I want to do this or was it just part of you all and it just oozes out because you're overflowing I mean it's a little it's a combination I mean uh initially yes the lifestyle the reason it's organic and natural and it works is because it's something that we do do it's not something that we're doing for the tv show necessarily the cool thing about the tv show is that everywhere that we go usually is based around a river you know I'm a professional kayaker there are so many rivers across the world and so many places to see that I don't need any other excuse to go travel and see anything and my kids have an amazing experience because they're visiting towns and places that most people don't put on a list because there's a river there. And so that's a really cool thing. But the TV show has also given us the opportunity where it's like, hey, you know what? We might not even go kayaking here. This might just be like, we're going to go try something else. And so that's the evolution of it is that, you know, it's not us going somewhere just because of a river or kayaking. We're actually getting the kids to go see places that we might not otherwise have the opportunity to go check out. And it's wild because afterwards we're like, oh my God, we so have to take our friends or family here because we never would have imagined that we'd be telling them we have to go to this place. But, you know, my mom's already asking, can we go to Fort Myers, Florida? Because (laughs) I can't believe it's like the seashell capital of the world. And I was like, I know, right? I didn't know that either. And I love seashells. So it's quite funny how that's evolved, you know, because it is like an element to what we already do, but there was an evolution to it in the sense that, you know, it's broader than just us following a river. Yeah, well, so I'm I'm reminded of Bentonville, Arkansas. That was a, I mm-hmm. think that was was that season or excuse me, was that that was episode two? I think of season one. Yeah, I think I think that was episode two, season one. Yeah, and that was a very that's a super special place, just because uh, Nick, you know, we work with a bike company, and they're like, "Have you heard of Bentonville? Because it's like totally a hub now in the U.S. for biking." Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, biking is the number one injury of all kayakers, right? So I'm not sure that this is a good idea. <laughs> but uh, I was also a little worried because I was like, you know what? I'm not sure because everyone just talks about the biking. You know, I was really worried. I was like, well, what's it going to be for, you know, the kids and I that I have to look forward to? And that's the element of, of adventure that most people don't realize is that by not necessarily knowing and just saying yes to opportunity, you learn so much about yourself, the areas, the different adventures that you can have, things that could be fun for you. And I had an amazing trip there. I, I went running every day on the most beautiful trails. We went and saw art museums. My husband and I ate great food. You know, there's so many, so many things that were unexpected. You know, it was just one of those things. That's what adventure is about. You can't plan everything else, right? Oh, that's so true. You know, and you all actually live out. You're like the epitome of the tagline for Exploration Local because it's always, you know, wander far but explore local. And it -hmm. always had that greater sense of, you know, it's not just I'm in Western North Carolina, but it's not just all about Western North Carolina. It's like, where's your local? Where are the things that you, you know, where you Mm -hmm. live that you can explore or wherever you go? You know, can you explore outside of the normal touristy, you know, types of places? Yeah. Yeah, everyone, I mean, everywhere you go, there's something to be seen or had, you know, like, it just, it's, it's unbelievable just how, like, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been, uh, 
you know, even you know, we drive across country and I have like a yearly goal for how many miles that I do in a year for running. So like my son and I, you know, we'll be in the middle of like God knows where in Kansas and there's absolutely nothing for a thousand miles. You know, you're just like surrounded by fields and there's nothing. And Nick will pull us over and we'll see a dirt road and my son and I will go for a walk or, or I'd be solo and I'd go for a run. But you know, that is the element of adventure too, is it's not necessarily picking and choosing where those adventures are, but it's being open to the idea that it could be anywhere. It's just most people don't have that because they don't say yes to the opportunity or intimidates them. And because we're frozen, we miss out on so much. So just by setting little goals, like for example, my, you know, running one, it's brought me on the tops of some really cool mountains. It's brought me through like really cool running trails. I can't tell you how much life slows down and how much your eyes can be open to everything around you the second you get out of the car or even off the bike and just start walking through an area. Yes. You start seeing things kind of in a whole new light. You know, you're paying a lot more attention uh, to your surroundings. And so that to me is why adventure is really everywhere. You just have to slow down enough so you can see it. Yeah. Well, gosh, what you just said was, you know, be, you know, saying yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's huge because yeah, we do limit ourselves or we can have the tendency to limit ourselves because it just doesn't fit into that box or our timeline or, or, or the expectations. Yeah. You don't want to be disappointed. Being afraid of being disappointed is the easiest way to just miss your whole life. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. yeah that's huge. Yeah. My wife and I used to call it when the kids were younger. Uh, and even, even before we had kids, we used to call it just getting intentionally lost. And what we meant was mm -hmm. let's just go. You know, and I don't have, you know, I have, this is before the days of GPS and everything else. Mm -hmm. So I'd have the gazetteer, we'd have a map yes. and we'd have a full tank of gas and we'd have some provisions and we would just say, let's just go. Well, where are we going? Yeah. Have no idea. Mm -hmm. You know, when we get to this end of the road, if we make a left, there's probably going to be mm -hmm. adventure. If we go to the right, there's going to be adventure. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's just that, that mindset of just, just being open to the moment and just, uh, yeah. you know, just, just and being willing. It. Yeah. Just yeah. go with it. Yeah. You're exactly right. Mm -hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about that then as, as it relates to the, to the kids, because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember in watching in one episode, you know, Nick was off doing his thing and you're like, hey, we're just going to go for a bike ride. We have no idea where this trail leads to, but we have bikes yeah. and mm -hmm. the kids have food and they've mm -hmm. had drink and, and we're good. So we're just going to go. And, mm -hmm. and I think that might've been Bentonville too, but all of a sudden you just uncovered this beautiful creek and scenery that you literally had no idea like there were no expectations but they were just mm -hmm. your expectations were blown away i know for sure when you lower those expectations you know <laughs> when, when your expectation is to go do the thing <laughs> everything else is just icing on the cake so um but yeah that is i can't even tell you how often that happens i mean just the for example, like uh, what we see in nature is unbelievable, but also the places we end up, you know, like the food that I found, the, you know, like the waterfalls, the creeks, the animals, the, the amount of wild animals that my children have seen simply because they're exploring, not in a vehicle, hmm. you know, the flowers, the, you know, we, we learn so much mushroom forage. I mean, there's just so many cool aspects. And even still, like when was the last time when you were walking that you rolled over a log? 
Right. You know, like people just don't do that. You know, it's just like one of those things because they're like, they have somewhere to get to. And I think hustle culture in general is dead. You know, I think there's an element to it that I understand and respect, but not at the expense of that slowdown and taking in the moment because, you know, to me, that's the times that you're really living, you know, what is it a quote? I'm going to totally get this wrong, but it's like, not how many breaths you take, but how many moments take your breath away. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we think about a lot because, you know, I am a mom and I'm a full-time employee and I do have an element of that hustle culture day to day in me, but at the same time, it cannot be at the, at the expense of just opening the door and appreciating the small things that are around me because or else what's the point, you know, I don't know, but my kids, you have to set the example for your kids too, right? So with my children having the opportunity for them to slow down with me being so busy, they know how busy I am. They know how hard, you know, certain things are for me at times. And, you know, you have to set the example for your children. You know, you're like, oh, I want to provide and give my children X, Y, Z. Well, it's like, the only way you can do that truly is to show them how it's done. If you are like, well, I'm going to do all this so they don't have to do all this, then they're probably not going to do the thing that you envisioned for them or appreciate it because you didn't lead by example. My parents didn't care for going for long strolls outside, so why should I? Mm. Um, and so for me, you know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, I'm like, oh, did I like, you know, did I take that moment for the kids? Did I do this? You know, you know, what are my priorities and making sure I'm really you know, intentionally focusing on what my priorities are gives me the opportunity to say, you know what, we're going for an hour bike ride. I don't know where we're going, but we're going to slow down and we're just going to appreciate the things around us and see what we find. Love it. Absolutely love it. And Emily, that's a great segue because I ran across like, I don't know how many quotes that just stopped me in my tracks when I was reading yeah. from you. And mm -hmm. I think these are your quotes because where uh, quotes come from other people, you would cite those. And so kind of using that, uh, mm -hmm. take your breath away, uh, mm -hmm. quote, I, I have a few others that I'd love yeah. to get your perspective on if, if that's okay. Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. So one of them, you said, give your kids adventures, not things help mm -hmm. make it. So they have stories to tell, not stuff to show. Mm-hmm. No, that one, I mean, that one for me, you know, I'm honestly, like, when I walk into my house, we live in a trailer full time, right? It's 32 feet long. It's big. It's a big trailer. You know, it's a big house on wheels. And because we're in it for nine months straight, I get back into my house where it has all the stuff that I didn't touch for nine months still sitting there in the house. And it literally makes me feel sick to my stomach because we just acquire things as humans, you know, no matter what we do, you know, you're going to acquire things and that's just how life works. But when we sit at the table at the end of the night, usually my family, we talk about what we're grateful for or mm. what's important to us or different things. So every night my husband asks our children, okay, guys, what were you thankful for today? And the kids have to tell him, you know, during dinner time, 99% of the time. And my kids are both pretty materialist. Like they, you know, are like, oh my goodness, they love Pokemon cards and my daughter loves Barbies. And so they do love things, but they don't talk about, you know, and they sit down at the table, no matter how excited she is about her Barbie and no matter how much she loves her Barbie, that isn't what they say. They don't say, I love, I'm so thankful that I have my Barbie and I'm so thankful that I have my Pokemon cards. I wish they would say that every once in a while. I don't know why I'm buying it otherwise, but, um, <laughs> they are always thankful and appreciative of time 
you know, time is one of those things that you can never get back. You can never trade. It's the most important thing in the whole world, but it, you know, it's, it's invaluable. Like you just can't. And so the kids at a young age under, seem to understand that better than adults do that, you know, adventure and stories. And the reason the stories and adventure is because we spent time. You know, you can't monetarily put a dollar on that because it's, you know, you just can't. So that to me is just a constant reminder of, you know, if I want to make my kids happy, I'm probably better off spending 10 minutes jumping in a muddy puddle with them than I am surprising them with a toy they really want. Because when it boils down to sitting down at a table at the end of the night, they're going to talk about the muddy puddle and they're not going to talk about the Barbie. Yeah. Wow. That's, that is so, so very true. All right. So the next one is it's important to unlearn, especially when you grow up in one specific place. You made this mm-hmm. comment on one of the shows, I think it was, and it, mm-hmm. I had to go back and listen to it a couple of times and it just sort of arrested me in that moment. So mm-hmm. unlearning, yeah. Unlearning is a hard one. You know, my dad always said, are your prejudices your own or are they inherited? You know, for example, I live in a very small rural town in the southeast. You know, there are certain things here that are a little behind, like versus visiting Colorado. And so if I truly embodied one area, it would make it really hard for me to relate and communicate with people from different places. So being able to unlearn is almost just more so try to learn to be as open minded to that. Maybe the way that you were taught or maybe the way that you were raised isn't what works for everybody just because it worked for you and you have the utmost respect for it doesn't mean that you should have any less respect for someone else's scenario or upbringing and so that for me just allows you to connect with a lot more people and it allows you to have a lot more of a filling life like for example politics you know instead of pitting people against each other if we just embrace that you know this works for some people and doesn't work for other people and we had that mindset when we went into conversations, we could actually find the root, which, you know, most people are actually on the same page, which mm. is, you know, they want to be seen. People want to feel valued. You know, they want to feel loved yes. um, and safe. And that boils down to almost every human because that's what it takes to survive. And we, by learning all these other things and what's right and what's wrong, we forget that deep down, you know, even the most violent acts come from a place of someone needing to feel loved. And I think that when you look at people and you look at the faults in the world and everything around you, it just reminds you that we have so much to unlearn and so much to think about when it comes to how we judge and treat people because just because it works for us doesn't mean it works for someone else. I mean, you do appreciate that the world would be a very boring place if everyone and everything wasn't different. So unique. Yeah. And then I think the other thought and carry on there too, Mm -hmm. is that we, we also have so much more in common than we really think. And so I'm not Mm -hmm. sure if you had any kind of a writer that influenced what you just said in terms of, we want love, we want to be valued. We want to have security. Um, I think it's just from traveling. Honestly, there's no writer. I mean, I read a lot, but in general, it's from, you know, visiting starving children in Africa who are the happiest kids I've ever met. Yeah. They're way happier than most children that I meet in uh, in the United States. Yet I look at them and they're struggling to have their basic needs for survival met, but damn, they're a lot happier. 
And so you start communicating with them and kind of figuring it out. And I think that's a big part of it is that uh, um, it's just a big part of travel lets you see people. Because I can't go to Africa and say, okay, well, the way you're doing things is all wrong. Right, right. <laughs> you know? That's right. Yeah. You know, I can't, I, I can't do that because I'm the outsiders. So travel allows you to have those um, thoughts and allows you to communicate and kind of figure out, you know, well, why and how does this work for them? So if you, what is it? You need to walk in their shoes when you visit because you're the outsider. And so when you allow yourself to be an outsider, which is what I do for most of my time, I have to be open-minded to everything around me because it's not my place to tell people otherwise. And therefore I learn so much about myself and what I need and unlearn what uh, has generationally been carried down through me. Wow. That's profound. It really is. And, you know, uh, I've had similar experiences where I've been in uh, Austria or um, Africa even or Albania and you're, you know, in some, I've been to some of the the poorest places, Mm -hmm. you know, the poorest of the poorest places. And Mm -hmm. however, when you're in their homes or you're walking the streets with them or you're just communicating yeah, however you can through language barriers, it really does mm-hmm. come down to what you just said. We all have basic human needs and we're all sort of mm-hmm. looking for some of the some of the same things. It may manifest itself differently, but But I think it also it also is this boils down to what is the thing of the utmost value and that's time. Yeah. So when you go somewhere and you give someone your time, I think in certain places they really understand the impact and how profound that is. And so therefore you do connect. And you do have this relatability and you do um, learn so much because you've already taken the time to fly and visit this place. And so people do treat you, I think, often with uh, wanting to showcase, oh, you've made this effort to be here. Let me show you what our what our world is like. You know, let me give you a little bit. And and that is just amazing to me. It is. It is. It's so Mm -hmm. cool. I've experienced it not a lot, but a few times and, and, Mm -hmm. and definitely in foreign countries, but also in other parts of the United States as well that are just very, very oh, yeah. different than the culture that I'm living in. I think you kind of talked to that, uh, yeah. spoke to that a little bit about Colorado and being in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and you're right. You're so right. It's just, you know, if we can sort of suspend our frame of reference, our filter, and mm-hmm. sort of enter into somebody else's, it makes us uh, so much more relatable. Well, you're going to learn quickly. If yeah. you go somewhere and you're like, you're doing it wrong, yeah. you're not going to last very long there. So it's pretty easy to learn that lesson. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, so the next quote that I have here mm-hmm. is really, um, I think it just spoke to what you were talking about. And it, mm-hmm. you said, we connect on the things that we can relate to and empathize mm-hmm. with each other on the things that we can understand. And I think that really just kind of sums up just mm-hmm. what we've been talking about. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, it does sum up what we were talking about. But I think in general is sometimes people don't necessarily feel like they can communicate if someone can't necessarily relate. But deep down, there's the common theme that we'll, we're all human. <laughs> yep. So just because you might not be a mom and I'm a mom or you might be a Republican and I'm a Democrat or you might be this and this person is this or however you frame it, it's really, if you want to like empathize and learn and move forward, you just have to remember that in a way, even if you want to like put someone as far out as the opposite of you, you're both human and you have the same basic needs. You need your water, you need your food, you need your shelter. You know, like we have the same needs. We should be able to relate off that. And I think a big part of that too is also not necessarily always interjecting your own experiences and thoughts into being a good listener. Because if you always... If you always interject, you can't learn something new while you're speaking. Mm. 
you can only learn something while you're listening. And so I think that empathy and that relatability, you're not going to find the relatability and you're not going to be able to empathize if you don't give yourself the space to listen. And so I think that's a really important aspect of that is make sure you're listening because that's where we find relatability and connections and can empathize with each other a lot better. Yeah, so good. There's so many other ones that I want to rip through here, but I'm already realizing that we're getting close to an hour since we've been on here. Yeah, so so here's one, and I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this one. Yeah. Or we didn't mention this one. So just because you're a mom, you don't Mm -hmm. have to stop living your life. Mm hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, you said it right there, though. <laughs> I mean, if there's not anything else to it, what did I read this recently? Where did I read it? I think I, uh, I'm reading uh, Women Who Run With Wolves right now. Ooh. It's actually a very, uh, a very old book, and it's, uh, very, uh, it's a lot about mythology and stuff and uh, female intuition and a bunch of different things. And uh, one of the quotes in there, and I, I literally read it yesterday, so I'm going to get this wrong. I did highlight it, but um, it basically was, you know, uh, being selfish is really important. And the reason being is we have this anticipation for our children about them doing the things that are most important to them. You know, I'm going to set my kids up to do the things that are most important to them. I'm going to drive them to their soccer practice. And I'm going to bring them to this lesson. And then they're going to have their play date here. If your kids don't see you doing the same for yourself, then they will not carry that into mm. their adult lives. So that is the element to me is that in order to be the best mother I can be, I need to set the example for them that I will chase the things that are most important to me. And if I don't do it, then I'm not being the best mother that I can be. And so I think it's a really important thing as mothers to just really take a step back and say, okay, well, what is really important to me? And it might change and it might evolve, but at least spend some time every day where the kids can actually see and recognize that you're doing something for yourself or else you're going to raise humans that have to learn that lesson on their own. And it's a lot harder if they don't have the inspiration and the guidance of them being able to watch you do it initially. It's not part of what they grew up with. So make it something that they grew up with and definitely don't stop chasing dreams and passions because you chose to have children or didn't choose to have children and you have a child just you know, it's, an, it's one of the most important lessons. So really charge that one full steam ahead uh, once you have kids or people with kids around you. Perfect. And you'll get called names. <laughs> you'll get called <laughs> names. Don't worry about that. But, you know, that's someone else's own insecurity. So don't take it to heart. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to read. This one's a little bit longer, but I really, mm-hmm. this is the one yes. where, or as soon as I read this, I immediately reached out to you and said, Emma, I'd love to have you on the show. Okay. And so this was a recent post. Uh, this mm-hmm. was from September the 4th. Mm-hmm. And this is what you shared. You said, time to go home after seven months on the road. We're tying boats on the roof, packing up from a wonderful two days on the Adirondacks for Beaver Fest. Mm-hmm. And a wonderful almost seven months of being on the road. I risen to the challenges on and off the water with a smile on my face. Last month, mm-hmm. I noticed old tendencies of mine resurfacing with the launch Nick's head injury and other obligations, I didn't prioritize reframing myself or my habits and man, how quickly that can take in an emotional and physical toll. Mm -hmm. I'm very tired, not because of the whirlwind tour, but because I didn't prioritize myself or my needs as well as I should have this last Mm -hmm. month. 
I was a very happy shop, uh, shuttle bunny this weekend. I hiked with my kids, read, practiced empathy, and made a kick-ass plan to get the much-needed physical and emotional mm-hmm. attention my body need. Uh, mm-hmm. Excuse me, my body and mind yeah. is craving. Um, mm-hmm. Grateful for all the conflicts, the growth, the setbacks, the love, and for me remembering there is only one me. And I'm very mm-hmm. proud of what I accomplished on this tour. What a ride, and I'm so excited for what's next. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not being too forward, I'd love to unpack that a little bit. And, yeah. uh, and, and how have you continued, you know, cause you're outside of this experience now, not, not, not a lot, but a, no, a few days, you know, what, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe you haven't had a chance to process it more, but I have a feeling in, in just the little bit that we've talked and what I've, what I know about you, you, you're probably always processing. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. So you know, like, like we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, I wear a lot of hats. In the last week, I became, uh, you know, I was brand manager for Whitewater. And then like, you know, 10 days ago, or longer than that, I was set up to be marketing director for the entire company. And there was just a lot going on that felt uh, other people were applying that this is really important to get done right now. And I am a people pleaser. So I was like, okay, this is really important to you. I'm going to help you get this done. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this done. And then with Nick's head injury, my kid's school, we were up in Canada a bunch. And there's so much family to see there. And family is important. So I was prioritizing that constantly. Um, I was still getting time to go do my walks and do different things. But at the same time, there are certain things that I need to do in a day to get to the end of the day and say, you know, I can go to sleep now and feel content, satisfied, motivated, and just feel healthy and happy, you know, like a place that you get to when you know that you're doing the right things. And sometimes it's a package of it also. For me, there are a lot of foods that immediately trigger like your guts, its own system, you know, it has its own living organisms in it. And they want their own thing, even though I want ice cream, it does not want ice cream. <laughs> um, And so like food and different things like that, you know, I was being, I don't want to say lazy isn't the right word, but I felt like I was unable to prioritize some of the things that I know helped me to feel good, you know, strong mentally and physically, because I was so busy trying to say yes to everybody. And in that time, uh, in the last three months, really, I've been saying yes to a lot of people, and I have not been saying yes to the things that I know that I need. I'm like, okay, soon, I'll just get, you know, just one week from now, I'll just get through this week, and next week's going to be better. And I said that for, like, a solid two months. And then what happens is you get to the end two months, and the mountain that you have to climb is so much bigger than it would have been if I had just, like, hold up, everyone, you know, pause time out. Like, I will say yes to you, but here's my framework around it. And so I did not do that. I just said yes and jumped into everything with two feet, but you can only do that so much. And I suffered for it, you know, mentally and physically, you know, I was a little snappier. I started drinking coffee. I do not drink coffee because it gives me, you know, like I get snappier with my kids and impatient. You know, there are things that I know, like Emily, don't do this. And I was doing those things because uh, it was convenient, and I challenge convenience as much as I can. When you reach for the things that are convenient but not in the best interest for you, you'll start noticing, you know, that it gets a lot harder to do the right thing versus the convenient thing. And so I was searching for convenience because I was very overwhelmed, and by doing that, I initiate a lot of things that I knew in my heart weren't in the best interest for me. 
And, you know, now it's been since then, I haven't had any coffee (laughs) and my kids' school's doing a lot better because I'm more patient with them. I'm saying yes to people, but I'm setting boundaries on that. You know, yes, I will help you with this, but you know, this is when I think I can deliver it. And it's just a better, you know, those boundaries are so important. So by setting them, you know, I'm in a much better place mentally. There's still some work to go because, you know, I'm still dealing with some of the things that I already said yes to, um, but I know that I can't take on any more. So I'm just providing everything that I need to everyone I need to provide it to in a framework that I know will best serve me because the last thing anyone needs is me to not be able to do the things I know I need to do and deliver the things that are being asked of me. So, you know, it's in the best interest for everyone, for everybody to really prioritize themselves first and foremost, your kids, your partner, your employers, your friends, everyone benefits from you being the best version of yourself. And so that is what I'm reminding myself of and what I want to provide to them. So boundaries and, you know, challenging the convenience and being what I know is in the best, best interest of me. Wow, that is so good. And, you know, the culture can tell us that that's also selfish. And mm-hmm. I think we have to push back on that quite regularly. And, you know, the example that you know, always kind of sticks with me sometimes, and it's probably not mm-hmm. a good one, but, you know, when mm-hmm. you're on an airplane and they're going through all the safety talk and they say that mm-hmm. oxygen drops, the very first thing they're saying is, you know, if you have kids, it's not yeah. go take care of your kids. It's listen, take make sure that you are taken care of and then you can take care of the people around you too. So if you're not taking 100%. care of yourself, you're really not good for anybody else. Yeah, that's the most simplified, dumbed down version of the exact same thing that, we deal with in day to day, you mm. know, life. If you're not the best version of yourself, then you don't have the capacity to help people the way that they need or you want to. So be selfish. Yeah. In a good way. Yeah. Cause it's not really that selfish. It's actually in the best interest of everyone. We're just trying to think differently. That's yes. right. Yeah. So when you write a book, Emily, it's gotta be, <laughs> I mean, when are you going to write a book of all these isms and, and just isms, the, yeah. the, 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 the wisdom, you know, that you have, it's uh, uh yeah, it's. I'm yeah. a good writer. There you go. I like writing. Yeah, no, I I I read a lot and I appreciate and I absorb um, a lot of it. But I also, I think when you spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, who you are and what, uh, and you spend time daily uh, feeding yourself, feeding your soul, um, doing the things that light you up, uh, it just makes everything flow a lot more naturally. It doesn't feel force or push and and it all ebbs and flows so just because you're not there right now doesn't mean you can't get there but you know you just got to have a little adventure every once in a while I can't plan everything out you might miss out on a lot of life if you do that yeah so true okay you got time for one more one more question one more uh okay all right so this one is uh well i'm I'm just going to read it it's one of your posts so uh, i'm not dreaming this up but it's really really good and you say i can't tell you how important opting outside is for me and my family it remedies whatever ails me it alleviates stress anxiety depression it creates Mm -hmm. bonds between me my kids my spouse and I always have a clear vision of the person I want to be. Getting outside mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a mission, adventure, or feel like a lot of work. It can be simple. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a good one. I'm trying to remember even whenever. Huh? But <laughs> I write a lot. The um, No, that for me, uh, I think when we're in our own little space, 
and we don't go outside, everything we feel and who we are feels really big. So like when I'm inside this tiny house talking to you right now, I'm taking up a lot of space. My voice is taking up a lot of space in it. Um, my strains take a lot of space in my head. My, you know, just me in general is taking up a significant amount of space. You get outside and it's a good reminder of how little we really are, but at the same, how impactful we can be. And so when I'm walking through the woods, you know, I'm just one person out of a shit ton of people in this world. <laughs> and I'm part of something a lot bigger. And so I think for me, it's that reminder that when we do opt to get outside, that you remember that you belong something, belong to something that's a lot bigger than whatever ails you, than whatever goals you're setting, that, you know, it's just all peace of this natural cycle of life and death and it also helps set, well, if that's the case, you know, well, what am I going to do to, you know, help make it a better place moving forward, you know, for my kids or what lessons do I want them to have? Um, and I want them to have that connection with nature because how else are they going to protect their home if they don't have a deep appreciation for it? And so I think it just makes me feel like I'm a part of something a lot bigger when I'm outside. And it also allows me to not feel like I'm um, the victim to my own mishaps. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all just part of being outside. Like, how lucky are we to be humans, for starters? I right. mean, that's right. I, you know, so there's just so many um, pieces to it that being outside, you know, just that big, deep breath of air that you can take. And it's just, you know, my kids will say, you know, they randomly go up and hug trees and say, thank you for the air. You know, I'm like, oh God, I'm raising these little children. But, um, and I'm not like that at all. But at the same time, it's like all of a sudden you start recognizing, particularly if you ever feel alone, that you are connected to something a lot bigger. And it's really hard to find that, I think, when you're inside. And I think outside it's just a reminder that we're all connected. We all have the same needs and that we're all a part of a bigger story than we give ourselves credit for. Right on, right on. Well, uh, speaking of story, you are <laughs> getting ready to open a whole nother chapter because I know that you all are getting ready to roll out. So you've been very mm -hmm. kind and gracious to just take a little bit of time here and y'all are fixing to head the trailer or yeah. pack the trailer up and, and, and head out. So what's yeah. next? What's next on the horizon for y'all? Uh, we actually have uh, a big international event happening in Columbus, Georgia, uh, October 3rd through 8th, I think. I don't even have that right because my brain's not there yet, but um, my brain's in getting everything packed first and then I can worry about everything else. So <laughs> we are loading up the trailer, which means the kids' school, all of our stuff are competing, all my work stuff. And then uh, hooking it up to the truck and getting ready to drive uh, drive down and visit our friends that are all there paddling and training and just kind of transition into that focus a little bit of, of balancing all the hats that I seem to want to put on my head. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And so um, what's what's the name of this, um, the international event that you all are going to be part of in uh, Columbus? It's, uh, it's called the ICF Freestyle World Cups. And that's uh, two events that are on two different features on the Chattahoochee River in Columbus, Georgia. So if you Google Freestyle Kayaking World Cups, uh, Columbus, Georgia, it'll pop right up. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited because uh, 
you know, I haven't been able this last two weeks of work and kids school and some other things, you know, my balance, which balance to me is just an illusion. It's a pendulum swing. Mm. And I've been swung pretty hard towards the work school. And I'm very excited for, for it to swing back over towards some hardcore kayaking and uh, some me time. So really looking forward to that. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have to ask you for the great family adventure. How do we follow you? How can we keep up? And where can we watch both upcoming episodes and some past episodes too? So you can definitely check out the Great Family Adventure YouTube page. That's what I highly recommend for past episodes. And they're going to be adding a lot more content on there shortly. I've been filming some tips nonstop to share with you guys and some fun adventures. Um, otherwise, our Instagram page, which is great.family.adventure, um, it shares a lot of information on what the upcoming episodes. It shares some different insights, some of the adventures we've been on. Um, those are kind of the two places that I'd most recommend if you wanted to follow along. And then otherwise, I'm just Emily Jackson Kayak on Instagram. And I try to post and I do set intentions when I post because I don't post as often as I should. Um, I'm busy out adventuring, but <laughs> definitely follow along and uh, you'll get it a deep insight and update with where we're at and what we're doing. Oh yeah. Well, it's, you do a great job of, of keeping that up. And so that's another whole hat that, you know, <laughs> you had the great family adventure and your page and, and just staying in, involved. Uh, in, I'm a hat collector. Yeah. Hat collector. yeah. Well, that's good. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, Emily, I just can't thank you enough for taking time out of your, your busy schedule, uh, sharing a little bit of life with me i feel like i always say this with guests i feel like i could just kind of keep going and keep going i have yeah. so many other questions to ask but you know time is finite for us in these things and um yeah i just i appreciate you being on and, and just your openness and your honesty and 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 also just being transparent too because you know it's it's sometimes i think it's easy for us to say that yeah hey my life is all put together and <laughs> i have this mask on and the imposter syndrome yeah. is, is working mm -hmm. but yeah you don't you sort of get through all that and you get to the real and and, and i love that about you so um i appreciate it i appreciate it no thank you for this wonderful conversation for sure it's always good to reflect and helps me remember to uh, to prioritize and what i want to do moving forward so in general i think reflecting and having these conversations is amazing so i really appreciate you having me and look forward to listening to it experiences over stuff what a cool outlook and life mission i couldn't take notes fast enough in this episode with all the truth nuggets being slung around Emily Jackson is the type of person I would consider a force, meaning she is strong, full of energy, unstoppable, and unforgettable. We're social creatures, ones who share stories, and deep down, most people care about their experiences over the things that they buy. We thrive off our experiences, and they help make us relatable to other people. The author B.G. Neblet once said, we are the sum total of our experiences. Those experiences, be they positive or negative, make us the person we are at any given point in our lives. And, like a flowing river, those same experiences and those yet to come continue to influence and reshape the person we are and the person we become. None of us are the same as we were yesterday, nor will be tomorrow. And here's the good news. It's never too late to begin a life of adventure. As Emily said, just open your door, walk out, and commit to exploring something new about your own town or region. Walk into these experiences with no expectations. 
Be open, be present, and be aware. Your best days may truly lie ahead. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please consider leaving us a review. It truly does help us reach more people. If you know someone who might enjoy this podcast, be sure to share it with them. I would love it if you did. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram and keep those episode suggestions coming. You can mail them to me at Mike at ExplorationLocal.com. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Until we meet again, I encourage you to wander far, but explore local.